If you can turn with me, please. Uh, we're looking at the first seven verses of Acts 6. Um, I don't have the page. Does anyone have the page? 1603. Great, okay. So I'll, I'll read from verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, that's the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So that's our passage today. And the message that I hope to bring is about the calling of the church, which is all Christians together united as one body, as well as the calling on each Christian within that body uh, as a member of that body. So the main point here is that the church has been given a mission which involves spreading the gospel, the message of the gospel, seeing people become believers and seeing them discipled into spiritual maturity. And yet the way in which each of us will contribute to that one mission will differ depending on our calling and the gifts and the opportunities that God places in us. So in the passage we're looking at today, we see seven individuals, including the first one named, which is Stephen. Uh, and these individuals embody the qualifications for serving in the context of a social ministry. Uh, the social ministry in particular is the distribution of food to widows who had no other support. So there's much that we can learn from this about the healthy functioning of the church, which is made up of many different parts and also what it means to be involved in a ministry of service. And that should be relevant to all of us. And hopefully we'll see that it is, in fact, relevant to all of us. So one of the most common metaphors that's used both in the Old and... Uh, sorry, particularly in the New Testament, um, sorry, for the church, is that of the body. Jesus Christ, um, in particular... Sorry, the body of Christ. And when Jesus was in his earthly ministry, through his physical body, he ministered to people. He showed them through word and deed the love and the character of God. And then following his ascension, uh, it's been uh, declared to us that we, as the people of the church, the people who make up the church, are a part of the body of Christ. And the way that works is that following his ascension, it's now through his people that God, that Jesus in particular, will minister to people, that he will show them the love and the character of God. And therefore, um, just as a body is made up of many parts, so too the people of God have different attributes to bring. We're not all called to be exactly the same. Uh, and and we'll, we'll, we'll see some of that carried out now. So if we are faithfully carrying out 
our particular role as a member of the body, we are like a body part that is in alignment, that works uh, harmoniously with the rest of the body. And uh, we all know what it feels like when one particular body part is out of joint or in pain or suffering in some way. The, the, the whole body feels it. The whole body suffers as, as a result. So if we go back now to our, our passage uh, in Acts chapter 6, there are, I hope, three points or lessons that we'll draw out of that. And to make them easier to remember, um, we, each one starts with the letter T. Um, to jog your memory. So the first is the call for servants. The second is the criteria for servants. And the third is the consequences of having servants. So um, we'll get into the passage and we'll hopefully draw out those three things starting with a T. So the first is the call for servants. Um, When I talk about the call for servants, what I'm saying is um, the need for Christians to serve in a ministry. Um, In the passage, we see um, the... The particular circumstances highlight the need for a particular ministry need that uh, hasn't been met adequately. And in that case, obviously, it was the fair distribution of material support to the widows. So we see in verse 1, it starts off, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number. And to understand what Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, is referring to, we can look at the preceding chapters, and we see that this was the early life of the church, Following Pentecost, um, the apostles had been performing amazing miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit. They had been preaching with conviction, and scores of people had been getting saved. Through the evident uh, work of God through them, people were drawn to the apostles. They were drawn to become part of this church. But for the same reason, some people were afraid of them. Some people stayed away. And thirdly, you'll see that some people opposed them, and In particular, it was the Jewish religious leaders of the day who saw this as a threat. Um, One of the most amazing aspects of the early life of the church that we see in the first few chapters of Acts is their amazing unity and generosity to one another. We read in chapter 4 that um, no one treated their assets as, as if they belonged to themselves. Instead, if anyone had sufficient resources, they would sell them and bring them and lay them at the apostles' feet so that they would be distributed to whoever had need, which is an amazing thing. And it's a a, a really incredible example of unity and love and generosity in the church. And it appears just through default that it fell to the apostles to be responsible for distributing the resources. We're told that they they were laid at the apostles' feet. So coming back to our passage now where we see a conflict arise, it's quite surprising that from this body of believers, there would be internal conflict as people were grumbling about their treatment that was accorded to various people. And the conflict, we're told, is between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. And um, just very briefly, the Hellenists were people, uh, Jewish people who were identified as being aligned with uh, Greece in some way, whether that was because of the language that they spoke, Greek, or perhaps they came from outside Palestine to Jerusalem, And it was there that they heard the message and got saved. Um, Whether it was their cultural or social values, whatever it was, there was something identifying these people as Hellenists or Grecian Jews, you might say. And uh, on the other side, you had the Hebrews or the uh, Hebraic Jews. And these were Jewish people who were from Palestine, who spoke Aramaic as Jesus did, who would have gone to synagogue and heard um, the the word uh, preached in, in Aramaic. And, and they were identified as you know, the local people. They were the ones who um, 
had the local advantage, if you like. So the particular complaint that appears to have arisen is that the Hellenistic Jew, uh, Jewish widows were not being fairly treated in the distribution of daily food supplies. And um, what, what surprises me, actually, on my first reading, I thought that this was due to prejudice. And it could be the case, but actually we don't have any indication that that was the case. It could well have just been the fact that there was poor administration and organization of this resource. And I think that's supported by the fact that, in other respects, there was this amazing unity. And as well, the proposed solution to this wasn't repentance and preaching on you know, racial unity and that sort of thing. Instead, it was appointing people who would run the administration of this, this ministry. So when you look at the complaint that arises, there are some immediate threats to the life of the church which spring out at us. And certainly, um, they appeared to me, and that's not a good thing that I say that. One of the threats is the threat to the unity of the church. Another threat is the threat to the support that needed to be given to the most vulnerable members of that community, in particular the widows and orphans. And you know, As God repeatedly tells us in the Old and New Testament, he cares about just treatment of the vulnerable, in particular the widows. And finally, there's the risk of the reputation of the church being tarnished by infighting or um, inequity in the treatment of different people from different cultural backgrounds. But what's really important here, and I looked at verse 2 and 3 on this, the apostles recognized a much more subtle but more dangerous risk here. And what they recognized was that the resolution of this problem required time and attention and effort whether from them or from someone else who was more qualified. They recognized that the apostles themselves had been given a commission to look out for the ministry of the word, the preaching of the gospel message, and that that was a full-time occupation. And finally, that they recognized that to get involved in this other ministry, the need that, has arisen, that had arisen would require them being distracted, being drawn away from their primary calling in order to focus attention on sorting out this mess. So what they did was they proposed a solution whereby they asked the body of believers to identify from among them seven men who would be suitably qualified for the role. And just before I go on, I I feel like I'm addressing a lot of my own prejudices from reading this passage. One of the things that has always bugged me about this passage was it just sounded really elitist to me for the apostles to say, we can't give up the ministry of the word to serve tables, as if that was beneath them. But in fact, um, I think that's a mistake. Because if we look at the life of the apostles just in the preceding chapters, it's very clear these guys were pouring themselves out in the ministry of the word that they had been given. And they were obedient to the mission of Christ to the cost of everything else that they had. They were preaching with power despite being threatened, arrested, imprisoned, and flogged. They suffered um, their own reputation being uh, dishonored. And not only did they suffer that, but they rejoiced as a result of the fact that they were considered worthy to suffer that dishonor for the name of Christ. They were amazing in their lack of pride, and the way that they were not looking for a cushy, easy ride here. So I think it would be a mistake to see the apostles as being elitist. And likewise, it would be a mistake to see this ministry of serving tables as being something which is in some way degrading or some way 
um, lower in priority in God's valuation of the world. So um, what we see is there was a call for qualified servants to be identified and for them to be commissioned into this ministry. And God is going to have various ministries for each of you to carry out. And I think this is a good opportunity to think about what that might be and to recognize that God has been working in you already, placing you in situations, and maybe even today will identify needs around you that you are qualified to meet. And what's exciting about this is that we don't have to wait for the big call to the prominent role before we get to serve in a useful and fruitful way. We have the ability to serve every day in whatever situation we're in. It's also exciting that God cares about every aspect of our life. It's not just those things which are Christian you know, as part of a, a ministry that's branded as being part of Grace London's mission in London. You know, it could be the way that you work, the way that you love your neighbors or your family or your friends. It could be anything that you do in the power of the Spirit to love people with the love that God gives you and that you can then pour out to them. It's not surprising as well that God values service because we see, and as we heard from Eugene's uh, passage and also from the songs we were singing, Jesus himself came to be a servant. He was the king of kings and he still is the king of kings, but he was willing to serve. He humbled himself and served. And we, following that glorious example of our Lord, should be excited about the opportunity to serve that God will put before us. So the second uh, lesson for us now to look at is the criteria for servants. We're looking at verse 3 here. And what we see is that um, in the preceding chapters again, believers in the early church were full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had foretold in Luke 24 and again in Acts 1 that the believers would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in fact, the apostles were told not to depart from Jerusalem until they had received that infilling from the Holy Spirit. So the early church saw the empowering and the guidance of the Holy Spirit as essential to all that they would do. And they were not expected to just get on with things using their common sense or their practical wisdom, which they might have learned from spending time with Jesus and seeing how he preached. The anecdotes and the uh, knowledge that they would have acquired was not enough. They had to have the Holy Spirit working in them. And it's very clear when you look at the life of Jesus that he himself had the Holy Spirit. And it was through the infilling power of the Holy Spirit that he performed his miracles. We see, you know, as he's been led out into the desert to be tempted, that he was led out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, he returns to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the qualifications, bringing this back now to our passage, the qualifications that the apostles set out for the servants who will be appointed to this ministry were really very high. In some ways, it's a practical administrative role. And using our sort of worldly mindset, we could say, well, we just need someone who's well-organized. We need someone who's good at administration, someone who has a food hygiene certificate, someone who's good at speaking both Greek and Hebrew, someone who's good with elderly ladies. You know, there's, there's these sorts of qualities that we might look for if we were looking to fulfill a need. But uh, why is Eugene particularly good at that? Is that? <laughs> 
But the apostles viewed this as being a role which couldn't be given to just any old person. I'll read verse 3 where it says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. In other words, these seven servants needed to be recognized as having good character. They needed to be known and trusted. They also needed to be full of the Spirit. They needed good understanding and to have wise judgment. And the need to be full of the Spirit relates not just to um, their character, which is they should show the fruit of the Spirit in the way that they live, but also their anointing. They needed to be spiritually minded. They needed to not be people who were dry, who were theoretical only, people who were religious only, but rather they needed to be full of the Spirit. They needed to know the power of the Spirit working in them. And that needed to be something that other people could see. That was how important it was that these guys were going to be qualified for this role. I think that's very challenging. Because as I've said, it's very easy for us to think that someone with the right CV could do any job. And we know that many Christian charities employ people who aren't Christian because they have the right CV or they have the right qualifications. And I think this is, this is a challenge for us. I'm not seeking to criticize anyone. I just think maybe we should rethink what, we, what is necessary in order to perform ministry that pleases God and will be fruitful for his kingdom. The, the Lord repeatedly reminds us in his word that we shouldn't do things without his power. Psalm 127, for example, says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand, stay awake in vain. Likewise, in John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we need the empowering and the infilling Holy Spirit in order to be qualified to perform Christian ministry. I also want to mention that the service that was going to be performed was not seen as menial. As I've said, the apostles were not being elitist, but equally they weren't seeing this as a, as a, as a small job that could just be sort of sorted out and then forgotten about. They, they, it was quite a, a rigorous process that they went through. They got the, the body of believers to appoint, to sort of nominate people. Then they would appoint and commission them. Before they're doing so, they prayed for them. And they laid hands on them. This, is, this was seen as a significant thing. It, it did um, take up a lot of their time and their focus. It, it mattered to them. And so what I want to say on this point is, should we be taking our role in the various ministries to which God would call us more seriously? And I don't mean taking ourselves more seriously. I don't mean we should be more somber about the way we do it or big ourselves up and expect other people to you know, um, make a lot of fuss about us. But I just mean, I think maybe we should be more earnestly seeking to be mature in our faith and in godly character, asking the Holy Spirit to fill us and to empower us for the role that we have, whether that is something that we have previously thought of as requiring the special anointing of the Holy Spirit or not. I think today we can sort of recognize that, think about it, pray about it, and hopefully start taking some steps in that direction. Our service today has involved a lot of people performing various functions or ministries of service. And um, 
you might, you know, if you were one of the people doing that, you may have done that in the power of the Spirit. You may have asked for God's guidance and blessing on what you're doing. And, you know, I, I think that's wonderful. But it may be that you didn't. It may be that you know how to do it. And so you just got on with it. And I, I'm not here to berate. What I mean is there's an opportunity here to see that God values what you do. It can be really fruitful. It can be really important. And also that there's a power and an anointing available from the Holy Spirit to, to make that work a fruitful one. And that's exciting, I think. So let's move on. Um, the final point to bring out is just the consequence of having servants. Where you see that the result of the arrangement that the apostles put in place was that instead of the apostles taking on more work which would distract them, suitably qualified individuals were given the opportunity to step up and serve in a ministry that would bless the widows and the others who would benefit from it. We read in verse 7 that the result was that, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The apostles were able to continue devoting themselves wholeheartedly to the ministry of the word. The seven who were appointed were able to exercise their gifts and calling in ways that blessed people. And as a result, this cause of disunity in the church was resolved. The need of the widows was met. And furthermore, we see that on a larger scale, the word of God increased, more people were being saved, and not only just that um, people who were outside of the religious elite, but even the priests were being saved. This is significant because we see that um, throughout the New Testament, it's the priests who tend to most um, aggressively oppose the Christian message. And so the fact that these guys are also being added to the faith is an indication of the power of the gospel that was at work through these early believers. And I think what's impressive um, to note about these servants who were appointed is that they weren't being put in a corner out of the way where they couldn't cause any trouble. They weren't sidelined by being appointed to a role of service. On the contrary, um, we see that everyone involved took this appointment really seriously. But also we see that Stephen and Philip in particular are recognized as being incredibly powerful and effective preachers. So what I want to say is if you think that you have a calling from God to a particular role of service, and it may not be glamorous, it doesn't mean that that's the end of the story for you. It does mean that you should faithfully and enthusiastically fulfill that service. But keep an eye open for opportunities to witness. It's not just that the, the preacher has the opportunity to, to share the word, but rather that we all, as the body, disseminate through our society, witnessing to others, both through word and deed. And like Philip and like Stephen, we can see amazing transformation in people's lives. We can see miraculous healings and signs and wonders, and we can see people coming to faith, which is, um, it has to be one of the, the highest callings and the, the highest joys of a Christian, is seeing people transformed from death into life, from the disgrace to receiving the friendship that we sang about earlier. Finally, um, I want to say that to be a Christian, we sometimes think it doesn't require the spiritual anointing of the Holy Spirit to organize a rota to prepare cakes or to arrange people to serve meals at Alpha Course 
or to cart big boxes of Bibles from your home every week up to the, up to the pub and back again. And yet what we see here is that actually we should look to be filled with the Holy Spirit for these roles. And that is something that is not a burden that we want to lay on people, but rather an opportunity we want to set out before you, a vision that I want to cast before you to say the ministries that we have could be more meaningful, could be more fruitful, could be more exciting. And we could work in conjunction with the Holy Spirit working through us. We can function as part of a harmonious body of Christ with all the parts supporting, blessing, and helping one another. So to conclude, there were a few principles we looked at. One of them is the effective functioning of the body of Christ in carrying out the mission of Christ requires each of us to engage wholeheartedly in the particular calling that God has called us to. The mission of Christ is hindered when some people take on too much and therefore are distracted from the calling that they actually have. Likewise, when others refuse to engage in the ministries which God would call them to and therefore the blessings that they would be able to give to others are withheld. It's vitally important for all Christians to be full of the Holy Spirit, to be wise, to have godly character in order to be qualified for ministry whatever that particular ministry will look like. And if you don't feel like that's you today, I'm not here to say that you are disqualified and therefore give up. I'm trying to encourage us all to look to the Holy Spirit, to fill us, to ask the Father to give us wisdom, as we are told that we can do, and that we we have the promise that He will give that to us. So if we are to apply these principles we've looked at to our situation today, I think it's a very timely message for us. As we've said, we're a very young church in a big city of people who don't know Christ. And we have a very hard-working pastor who isn't here today. So I can say this without embarrassing him. Our pastor has a very clear call in his life to minister the Word of God and a very clear gifting for that. And we love him, and it's amazing to see how hard he works in it. But like uh, the situation that the apostles faced, there's also the risk that in a small church with a staff team of one, he might be taken up um, or distracted having to deal with a lot of administrative tasks or having to fulfill various ministries that he can identify need to be filled, and maybe we can too, but which for various reasons, you know, he might feel just, well, I'd better get on with it. And... So what I wanted to do, especially as he is absent, um, is to encourage us all to to look out for opportunities that we might have to serve, opportunities to get involved in in ministry that would bless um, both Andrew but also the the world out there who needs to know Christ. And and together, hopefully, we will see that future generations will be able to look back and say that in our time, in our city, through this church, the word of God increased. The number of disciples was greatly increased. We, we, I'd love to see that being true for us. And I, I pray that um, that will be true for us. And it is an opportunity that is available to us. So, so let, let's, um, let's get involved is what I'm saying. And uh, I also want to be very, very clear. I'm not trying to lay guilt on anyone. I'm not trying to get people to work harder in their own strength. That is very much the opposite of the message here. It's that the Holy Spirit is available to help us. And we can 
look to him for strength. We can look to him for empowerment. And I'm hoping that we will together now, uh, as a body, pray and, and do that. Let's aim to be qualified for service, to support others within the ministries, and also to bless others who are outside the church. So um, please join with me in agreeing with these things if you do. Um, if, if you feel like God has something to share that you want to share, please, please do that. This is a very small gathering. It's a very informal gathering. So please feel confident to speak out, to try and share what God's laid on your heart. Uh, and let's pray. Let's ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Let's ask God for wisdom. Let's ask God to bless the ministries that we have, both here and in the outside world, so that they'll be fruitful and meaningful. And this, um, as I was saying, let's ask God to, to make it so that his word would increase in our city and our time. Okay? Let's pray. Living God, we thank you so much that you have shown us through your word that you love us and that you are there to empower us, that you are there to guide us, that you haven't left us to just carry on in our own strength and you're going to fill out a report card at the end. But rather, Lord, that you are here with us, that you are calling us to get involved in your mission and that this is your church. And we are your people. And Lord God, we want to acknowledge that and honor that. We pray, have us. Have every part of our lives. Make us useful and ready and equipped for service. Help us to recognize the value that you place on every call of service that you would have for us. And I pray, Lord, would you send your Holy Spirit? Would you fill us, even now? Let us know the indwelling power of your presence at work in us. Lord, we want, to, we want to welcome you. We want to hunger and thirst for no one other than you. Lord, please work through us. Please speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen.